Most people don't think of July much of as a gardening month, but there's a lot of things you can do. So let's talk about that uh, for the beginning of the month of July. You can prepare new beds. Uh, I recommend using a high quality compost. If you've got it, lava sand and green sand, you can still find them. There's a product I used to to recommend and even advertise, but I've gotten away from it, although I do think it's something that I should remind you of. It's a thing called azomite, and most good, especially organic or natural outlets, will have that for you. I still believe in molasses. I still believe in the use of whole ground yellow cornmeal for certain things. Uh, you can just work these things into your native soil. It's the best, if possible. You know, uh, For preparing beds under the tree, I recommend just using a pitchfork um, just be very careful with it if you don't want to injure the roots under your trees. Color for fall can already start. It sounds like that's impossible in the month of July, but if you're looking for flowers, and I'm mostly a, a gardener to, to grow what I eat, but there are some beautiful flowers. I, I like natural flowers and, and natives, but asters and celosia and marigolds if you haven't put it morning glories or you're ready for a second batch for the fall, that's great. Number of ornamental grasses. Uh, if you like Mexican bush sage, and of course for really hot weather, zinnias will make it through most any weather, even as bad as it's been. You can work on container grown nursery stock and uh, you can even put in field grown trees. You don't want trees that are bald or burlap this time of year to put in. But if you've got it in a good container and you find a tree you want, that, that's okay. Um, if you're going to have to put warm season grasses in, if you're putting a new lawn or something, it's actually not the ideal time of the year for that except maybe for some of the Bermudas. You can always start a new batch this time of year of basil and oregano and thyme and lemongrasses, lemon verbena. If you don't have a, uh, a rosemary somewhere, stick one in the ground or two. They're always good to have around for cooking. And especially if you're starting some seeds or maybe a little later, even from small plants. For the fall season, you're going to be looking at peppers, tomatoes, a number of different melons, and other warm season vegetables need to get started for your fall garden. And a little known fact, this is actually the week, wait, before the 4th of July where you're listening to me, is time to plant pumpkin seeds, which I haven't done a lot of, but pumpkin seeds, if you want a jack-o'-lantern in Halloween, this is the time. Still, still the right time of year, even though again, we, we hate this heat for planting beans, black-eyed peas, I was saying melons, but cantaloupe for sure. Swiss chard will come along by the time you get it going. Certain cucumbers, uh, I have my friend that just put in Armenians, Eric, and I think they'll do great this time of year. Eggplant, if you haven't already got it in the ground, should, should be there. And I gave him a choice of either New Zealand or Malabar spinach. Uh, and of course, summer and winter squash can still go. So there's lots of things you can still stick in the ground. And if you have to have any wildflower seeds left, believe it or not, as hot as it is, it's actually better if you can protect them to put them out now instead of waiting until fall. There's a chance birds are going to get some of them, but they will definitely come up as soon as they can. Mother Nature lays them on the ground all year, folks. Shouldn't wait till the fall to plant them. And as I always prefer, avoid synthetic high nitrogen salt fertilizers, especially those ones that say nitrogen only, but you're just asking to burn a plant. 
all planting areas with organic fertilizers. If you didn't get them done in June, it's okay to stick it out in July if it's organic, even though it's hot. Green sand, if you have an iron deficiency or other trace mineral problem, a great sort of a, just throw it at it, prophylactic, it, it does your great things in balancing your soils. If you need it, use high, high calcium lime. If you've got low pH soils, most of us don't in these areas. Also, you can always drench. I didn't used to talk about this. Drench your, your area. Get a tablespoon or two of, of, if you happen to have any, of your fireplace ashes from a good natural wood you know you burned and put about a tablespoon or so to each gallon of water and kind of drench the areas. You'll be amazed at how uh, quick some of your plants might respond if they actually needed that potash. It's a good time to foliar your feed. You can use my friend Howard Garrett's juice, which you can buy at most any decent outlet these days, even ones that are not very organic, still carry a lot of his products. Or you can make your own. You can go to my website, Nature Approved at Yahoo or to Howard's, and we'll show you a formula, especially if you're going to make a lot of it, that uh, will save you some money and be very, very good for your summer garden. I'm not big on pruning, but if you need to prune, it's time. Uh, always cutting away dead or damaged limbs or limbs that are in your way if it's really necessary. If you have some plants that's already flowered out, okay, you can remove those spent flower heads and maybe they'll encourage uh, some new flower production a little later in the year. If you've got to cut trees and shrubs, it's okay if needed. I'm not a big pruner. Uh, if, if your roses have bloomed out temporarily, a light pruning of your roses is okay. And if you're a crepe myrtle, don't crepe murder it, but they claim that it does encourage a second set of, of late summer or fall flowers if you prune the flower heads off of your crepe myrtles. It's been a bad summer, folks. All planting areas need to be watered deeply but infrequently, especially during these dry periods. And if you have outdoor container plants, the ones few I've tried to remember to keep up with, I'm actually having to water daily in this weather, and it looks like this weather is going to be around for a while. If you happen to be having some caterpillar problems, uh, don't forget the old Bacillus thuringiensis, one of the best and safest products I know to use on caterpillars. And where I am right now, we happen to be having a real tent caterpillar problem. I might mention here if you happen to be having a problem with spider mites. Spray one of the garlic pepper teas, or for that matter, I found that most any spray that contains real liquid seaweed is very, very helpful against spider mites. And what about fire ants? Well, dr drench the mound with one of the drench products. I personally, if I know where the fire ants are, I use a spinosad product. And you can still find beneficial nematodes if you can keep it just it's an area that just stays at least slightly damp. If it's super dry, I don't find the nematodes as, uh, as useful this time of year as at other times of the year. As far as odd jobs go, of course, if you still need to be mowing, we don't need to be much mowing here, uh, mow, but mow it and leave the clippings on the lawn. It really is good for it. I don't know where we get this idea that we have to remove the clippings all the time. If you've got a compost pile, go out there and turn it. Uh, add any new ingredients or if you need to start some new piles. Every year, at least a couple times, I add molasses to my piles just to stimulate the biological activity. And believe it or not, if you use it a, little, a couple of tablespoons or more to a gallon, it'll actually help eliminate problems with fire ants in your compost pile if they're having them. 
And if you've got any bare soil and you've got any compost around, please compost the soil. It keeps it in place. It brings it back to life. It'll make it better for you when you use it later in the year. And any kind of a coarse textured natural material will help, but a good compost would be the best. And of course, as my old friend Howard Garrett always says, and now I've stolen the idea from him, this time of year especially, don't forget to feed and water the birds. To kind of add to the end of this part of the show, as a couple of, I'm going to call them science factoids. One that's very interesting to me. For those of you that have listened to me for years, one of my stays was an extended stay in the Galapagos Islands. I'm basically a turtle nerd. But I found this science that I've never heard before that I found extremely fascinating. It'll just take a minute or two, but it's very interesting. Galapagos giant tortoises are long-lived in part because their cells are surprisingly sensitive to certain forms of stress. And that sounds bad at first, but as well as informing research into human medicine, the finding reveals how animals have evolved different ways to resist cancer and aging. There's lots of different ways to get a large body and a long, healthy lifespan, says Vincent Lynch at the University at Buffalo in New York. We would expect, though, large animals to be more susceptible to cancer because they have, of course, a greater number of cells, each of which has a small chance to become cancerous. But recent studies have shown how big, long-lived animals, such as, for instance, elephants experience, paradoxically have low cancer rates by having extra copies of genes evolve in suppressing tumor development in their own bodies. That's been kind of studied and known for a while. These studies have mostly been done until now, at least in mammals, raising the question of how other animals evolve similar adaptations. So Lynch and his colleagues turned to turtles, which come in a large range of body sizes, have low rates of cancer and can show remarkable longevity. Galapagos giant tortoises, for example, have been known for sure to live at least, listen to this folks, 150 years. Lynch's team found that Galapagos giant tortoises have evolved a marked reduction in cancer risk and that their genome contains extra copies of genes involved in responding to cellular stress caused by damaged or mishapened proteins. The accumulation of such proteins in cells is now known to be associated with aging and cancer. When the researchers applied a drug that triggers this kind of stress intentionally to giant tortoise cells in the lab, they were surprised to see that the cell immediately self-destructed. We thought they might be super resistant to the kinds of stresses that cause cancer, but it ends up that they're extremely sensitive. Killing damaged cells before they turn cancerous protects the animal from developing tumors. Adding to this, it is likely to be just one of many ways in which the giant tortoises reduce their risk. It's a very original and interesting study, uh, originally started at the University of Liverpool over in, in UK. The more species we learn that trick from, the greater our understanding will be of natural mechanisms that could confer resistance to aging and cancer, maybe even in humans when we've studied it long enough. Just a very, I thought, up-to-date, I didn't know about. I, I've, I met George, the oldest tortoise on the island when I was there. He recently just died three or four years ago. 
but I was there more than that, back a decade or more, and he was still alive and healthy, and he was over 140 years old, as far as they knew. He'd been in captivity for about 100 years. So I hope the little factoids I do occasionally, I have to throw those in there for the fun and to lighten the load a little bit. I think maybe they take a little worry away from the whole pandemic situation and the COVID thing that comes and goes and the case of the situation where I am in, the, in Texas this year so far, unbelievably early hot weather. So every little bit counts. Just uh, tell your friends about Organic Matters or find me at natureapproved at yahoo.com. Natureapproved at yahoo. Thanks for tuning in.